0: As a finance professional, you're constantly looking to learn from the best. Do you want to meet them? Join me and our panel of top industry experts at our next CFO Leadership Live event on August 24th in Dallas, Texas, as we talk with three CFOs about the challenges that finance teams are facing today and how best to overcome them. The workshop includes a complimentary buffet lunch and the chance to network with other DFW finance leaders. Head over to cfoleadershiplive.com to secure your seat.
1: Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results. With your host Megan Weiss. let's jump right in. Today, my
0: guest is Christina Ross. Christina is a former CFO turned founder slash CEO of Cube, the real-time FP&A platform for modern finance teams. Christina is a two-decade finance veteran, most recently a venture-backed CFO building finance teams in high-growth environments. Before her stints at Rent the Runway, Citrio, and iview, Christina ran global finance at GE and served as finance transformation leader at Deloitte Consulting, managing large-scale technology projects for the office of the CFO. After growing frustrated with the manual nature of FP&A and from an implementation of a leading solution gone wrong, Christina set out to build the next generation of FP&A technology. Founded in 2018, Cube now serves hundreds of finance teams around the globe, helping companies graduate from numbers to narrative in record time. Hello, Christina, and thank you so much for being on today's episode. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, today we're going to be learning a little bit about you and your journey to becoming the founder and CEO of Cube, which is a software company that's doing exciting things within the FP&A space looking forward to hearing your story. So let's get started from the beginning. Uh, if you could start kind of by talking us through your career journey and how you got to where you are. That would be great.
1: Sure. So I know a lot of founders are serial founders or serial entrepreneurs. I would describe myself, though, as a serial CFO. And um, I started my career at large companies like GE and Deloitte. Um, and after found my way into the startup world. And I got lucky quite a few times. The first one was this little 30-person organization called Rent the Runway back in 2010 in the early days of Silicon Alley. So um, I, I would say that when picking companies to work for, you can really sense when there's magic around. So even though the company was small and had limited traction, I could tell something really magical was being built. Um, and after a couple of years at Rent the Runway, I went to my next startup and again, got lucky. Uh, it was a little 50-person organization in North America called, called uh, Critio. And Critio, of course, is a leader in ad tech and went public in 2013. So had another one of the startups go to IPO. Um, instead of becoming a VC, though, I, I continued on my CFO journey. And it was time to move on to the next organization. And this is the height of the ad tech market in 2013. So I joined an organization called iView, which did programmatic creative uh, videos. So basically ads that could be personalized uh, in video, which was really interesting technology at the time. And we grew that company from two to over 50 million of revenue in just a few years. And so there's another high growth story. The thing that was unique about iView, although it didn't become a public company, was this was the first time that I was able to sit down and say, I'm gonna build my own or implement my own FPNA software. So I had done this role a few times, had just like in every other company, worked with spreadsheets, trying to scale, it was a challenge. And I think any of us who have tried to build finance organizations to scale have struggled with this problem around FPNA, which is it's an incredibly manual but data-driven type role. And there are very limited tools to support it. And so in my role at iView, I said, I've had enough of spreadsheet world and I'm going to move on to uh, some of the software that's out there. And so we did sort of our own internal RFP process and landed on a leading solution in the market. And I thought this should be pretty straightforward, right? You know, we all use SaaS products, they're relatively easy to use. Um, to get up and running, I, when I was at Deloitte, I was literally an implementation consultant and would implement tools like Hyperion. So I thought, well, this is right up my alley. This should be pretty straightforward. And instead, what happened was I spent the next six months of my life doing an implementation of the system. I had to hire more people on my team because someone had to do the work while the other person focused on the implementation process. And um, ultimately, once we got it up and running two weeks before a board meeting, we couldn't get our numbers out and uh, (sighs) we had to go back to spreadsheets. And so this was a a very eye-opening moment for me um, because all of these things that I thought would work didn't. And so I thought, like any rational person. I must have done something wrong. So let me talk to my peers. And as I started to talk to more and more CFOs in the space, everyone told me the same story. And this was, the story had two components. One is I'm in pain and the way of managing fp in the past is no longer working. There's more expected of us. fp is a much more strategic role. Uh, there are more systems and more data than ever because we live in the world of best-of-breed solutions. So there's more systems we have to pull data from. And they're all real-time. So trying to do this all in spreadsheets is very difficult. On the flip side, the second thing I heard is my story was not unique to me. It's very, very common that uh, fp and solutions on the market are considered legacy. So they're either Generation 1, like your Hyperions, and um, IBM TM1s from like the 1980s and 90s. Or they're Gen 2, so the cloud-based solutions like... Uh, adaptive and plan, planful, that, that cohort uh, of solutions, really solved the problem of moving on-premise to the cloud, but they didn't solve the solution of how to get up and running quickly and efficiently. And um, because these solutions replace spreadsheets effectively, you have to rip and replace your Excel, Google Sheets, whatever you use. Ultimately, you're moving to a new environment where your team is not familiar. So you end up with end-user rejection. You have to rebuild every single cell of data from a formula to uh, your drivers to your, the, the data containers and templates. All that has to be customized into this new environment, which is incredibly difficult to do. And you have to reconcile all that data to make sure it makes sense. Okay. So there's a very big uplift and a lot of friction involved with, with rip and replacing spreadsheets. So this is, I'm, I'm sort of setting the stage for how I ended up founding Cube just based on my own pain points in the space. So just to recap for a second here, the world of FP&A, we're in pain. We need, we need more help, more is expected of us. We're moving into the era of the CFO and yet our tools really haven't been changed. On the flip side, what's available in market today has issues. And those issues are, it's very difficult to get up and running quickly um, the you're you're moving people off of their existing tools and workflows, which is disruptive and very difficult to have a successful adoption process. And so the light bulb moment for Cube came in sort of figuring out how would I, how would I solve this problem for myself? And the solution was the following. Why can't we have the best of both worlds? Or why can't there be an option three? So by option three, I mean like if you think to the the world of cars. You can buy a car, you can rent a car. And those were really your only two options for getting somewhere. Forget taxis for a second. Then the third option came along and it was ride share. So suddenly I don't have to own a car. I don't have to rent a car for a day or a week. I can pay for a ride. And Cube is the ultimate third option, which says you're not just stuck anymore between the idea of spreadsheets only or rip and replace your spreadsheet. Cube connects directly into your tech stack, including native connections with Excel and Google Sheets. And behind the scenes is powered by an engine as powerful as these, as these other FPA platforms. So we built the ultimate FPA platform, which is the power and performance of enterprise software paired with the flexibility and familiarity of your actual spreadsheet. So the way Cube works is it. Uh, connects directly through your spreadsheet and your spreadsheet works as the UI. So you can model and Excel the way you always have. But what are the challenges with Excel that don't work? Well, number one, it's not a database. So we provide a database on the back end. So your data gets pushed into a database. We call it cubifying your data or pushing it to the cloud. You can also pull data from that database. So one of the challenges with uh, spreadsheet modeling is actualizing your data in your model typically is a long process. Well, all of that happens on the back end and there's automation involved. What's another challenge with spreadsheets? Well, they don't have controls. I don't know who's in there and who's making changes. Well, we have an audit trail and user-based permissioning so we can control who sees what data and what people are allowed to post and not allowed to post. Um, And I can go on and on, but the idea was let's take what works um, from these enterprise software solutions and pair it with actual spreadsheets. So we work across Google Sheets, Excel, or any other spreadsheet that you'd like to use. Um, And so that's a little bit about me and the career journey in the beginning of Cube and a little bit about what Cube does. And Cube was founded how long ago? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I quit my job in 2018 to found Cube. Um, So we've been around since 2018. And um, the interesting story about getting started is I was so passionate about doing this that I left my job without a real plan. Meaning I told myself at the time, and by the way, I was in my late thirties. I had two and a half year old twins at home. Um, Not really the ideal time to start a company, but I knew at that moment that if I didn't make the big move now, there would always be a reason why I couldn't. Um, Because if if it wasn't now, when would it be? And so I sat down with my husband and we were talking about buying a house in the suburbs and, you know, white picket fence and two cars and all of that. And we decided to put that on hold. And instead, I would dedicate my time and energy into starting this company. So I started with nothing. I left my job and, you know, I opened up my laptop on Monday morning and asked myself, what now? That's and that enough. was literally the beginning of Cube. Yeah. What an amazing story and what courage that must have taken. Um, um, it was very scary. I definitely woke up with night sweats. Um, <laughs> but, but just like anything, you sort of figure out what's the first step in this journey. Let's start talking to people. And the, the best thing that I learned was in software development, the least expensive way to build software is to prototype. And the least expensive way to prototype is actually just ask questions. And so I started by interviewing my network, and that was step one of building Cube.
0: Yeah, kind of talk me through the like the first few steps
1: of like you're starting a business. What what did that look like? Um, so step one is what is this business going to look like, and you start with a thesis. And um, I had my thesis for what I thought Cube would look like and who I would support. So I actually thought in the beginning. Um, Q would be more of a small business platform for your everyday mom and pop businesses. And as I started to interview people from mom and pop businesses um, about their cash flow, I would say, well, tell me a little bit about how you think about cash flow. And I would hear things like, when I have cash in the bank, I spend it. And when I don't, I don't. <laughs> um, and so that's an anecdote of... Um, basically, it wasn't a need. There's a saying in startup land of you want to build a painkiller, not a vitamin. And for these small businesses, it felt like a vitamin. What I then noticed is as I started to interview larger and larger companies that, um, and I interviewed founders because the other thought was, hey, maybe this is finance for non-finance people. And we can make it so simple that, you know, your CEO or your COO could run finance. And as I started to talk to those companies, I would hear things like, yeah, we don't, no, we don't really need help in that area, but why don't you talk to my head of finance? And I recall one very specific incident where I, I, I said, okay, fine. You know, I'll talk to your head of finance. And, uh, this woman walked in the room. She looked like she hadn't slept in three weeks. Um, she was, you know, she'd been in the office like night after night. This is back when we were in the office. And I asked her how things were going. Cause I was like, it sounds like you guys are in a great place. And she's like, I don't know. Absolutely not. Uh, we're, we're struggling. We're in pain. And at that moment, I realized also that, Finance really is just as I was the customer because as finance folks, oftentimes we absorb a lot of the challenges in the organization around how difficult it is to manage the finances, but we do it well enough that the CEO or COO doesn't necessarily feel the same level of pain. So, going to vitamin and painkiller again, if we're gonna if we're gonna um, solve for a pain point, we're gonna do it for the right person, and that put me. Back square where I started, which is finance leaders in mid market organizations. Um, who's the ideal client for Cube? So, we, um, we usually say around the time that your first head of finance or your first FPA head is hired. And the reason why is that's usually the point at which FPA on traditional spreadsheets starts to become a lot more difficult. That's around the time that you have maybe ten or twelve department, you know, five to ten department leaders, each one having to manage their own budget or having to get data on a regular basis. Managing more complexity in the process becomes more and more difficult as organizations scale. So we typically start around let's call it hundred to one hundred fifty FTEs um, at an early starting point, and then we scale up. and Our focus today is on sub. 5,000 person companies, um, mostly reason being we want to focus on a, um, a mid-market customer that can uh, click into the product and use it quickly, easily with a short implementation timeframe. And to do that, we, we don't necessarily want to focus too heavily on enterprise at this stage.
0: And what is the normal implementation
1: time? How out of the box is it? I'm, I'm so glad you asked. This is one of the things we're proudest of. So um, the vast majority of our customers, and when I say majority, it's mean, median, mode. All of our averages get up and running in about two weeks. Wow which is very different than the six month story or what I hear from prospects now where they're on like year two of a three-year implementation of a a large enterprise solution. Um, And in fact, it's so unbelievable that we have to provide a lot of documentation and references to people to say, no, this is really real. And and I'll tell you our secret sauce. Um, It's in the tech. And the way we do it is Uh, We have uh, these native integrations with Excel and Google Sheets. They can actually read the spreadsheet. So you you find a range of data and it can identify the dimensions within that data and contextualize the information so that it can cubify or databaseify the data. So anyone who's worked with row and column data knows that you can make it into a tabular format. So effectively, what we're doing is we're using a certain amount of AI to recognize that data and convert it to a tabular format. So then, then it can be recognized by the engine and managed. So um, in layman's terms, we're automating the entire automation, uh, the entire implementation process. We're not requiring you to rebuild all of your reports and charts and, uh, uh, and data. We're actually taking it and migrating it into Cube using automation. That's amazing. So,
0: do you have like consultants that work with clients or do
1: clients do this on their own? We, um, so, one core tenant of how Cube works is uh, it's self service. So, you never need IT. And at this stage, you don't need external consultants to use Cube. We, um, internally, we have an award winning service and implementation team to help uh, customers get up and running in that timeframe. We have our own onboarding software. We have a team that helps you. Um, and the idea is we work with you to get you up and running as quickly as possible. And you just you described yourself as a serial CFO. How has
0: it been transitioning to the role of a CEO? What differences have you...
1: What have you noticed in that transition? It's so funny because I spent so many years talking to other CFOs about how to work with your CEO. So it was always a very delicate dance because the stereotype is the CFO is trying to keep the crazy CEO in line. And it's funny because I've certainly transitioned a little bit into a crazy CEO, but I I always have my finance roots. So I would say the number one thing is, especially for anyone who's looking to get out of the CFO seat and more into the COO or the CEO seat, is around um, how you think about risk. So as a CFO, my job was always to take all the crazy ideas the CEO had and sort of bring them back down to earth and assess and manage risk. I think as a CEO, you're coming up with those large, grandiose, visionary ideas. But you can always add a CFO lens to it of how risky is this or how much risk Uh, how much risk appetite do we as an organization have and apply some frameworks to it. So I think that's the really cool thing about having a CFO and CEO background is um, I love frameworks and assessments and quantifying everything. And so I can, uh, you know, as we come up with these big, grandiose ideas, we can also bring them down to earth at the same time. And uh, I think that the, the most exciting thing is bringing on our own VP of finance recently And having him be sort of my gut check uh, as I've sort of ascended into the CEO seat.
0: Yeah, thank you for that advice. I I think more and more these days, there's um, lots of CFOs that are transitioning to the COO and CEO roles as
1: the role evolves. Right. Like uh, the Peloton CEO was a CFO, and we're seeing more and more of this. And uh, I'll make an official prediction here that. Over the next five or 10 years, you're going to see this being sort of the primary channel uh, for CF for CO development is to come through the CFO channel.
0: Yeah. Um, so you've said that your mission is to help finance leaders become the heroes of every organization. So what does it, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to be a hero? And how does that apply to finance?
1: You know, finance is the ultimate strategic position in the business as and I have to use the term we because I still am a finance person at heart. Finance people, we are we see the past, present and future of everything that's happening in the organization. We're the ones in, who are the most downstream with data, meaning every data, every piece of data that comes into the organization somehow ends up in finance's lap. When we're building our three statement financial models, um we're looking at the future of data when we are building plans or trying to sort of predict or build different scenarios around the future, and we're looking at the present state because we're comparing the present. Uh, we're comparing the, the what happened to what will happen and how we can manage performance. So I'll start with saying we have an incredibly valuable position in the business to be able to be strategic. We're also there, sort of catching everything as it falls. So I talk a lot about finance being a downstream function. And by down, I just mean that everything that happens ends up in finance last as the as the ultimate position before it goes to Wall Street or to the board. Um, and so we often catch bad things before they happen. We're also sometimes the first set of eyes on things, whether it's good or bad, and we can provide really wonderful strategic recommendations. And I think the role of finance hasn't been seen as this hero in the past. It's been stereotyped as the CF no and talking about how not to spend money and sort of a lot of the uh, sort of, if we think about the old school way of thinking about finance versus the newer strategic lens, which I think finance has always been, but is finally being seen as that role. And so our mission is to help empower finance leaders become the heroes of every org by taking things off their plate that don't add value. So Cube does a lot around automation. So work that is not value-add, but takes up a lot of your time, we'll take that off your plate so you can spend more of your time actually doing the work to be the strategic business partner at the table. Um, And another prediction of mine is, I think we saw this in the world of HR. So what, what was once described as human resources and considered, again, a back office function became people operations and became workforce planning and became a much sexier and more mission-critical part of the business. Um, and that's only an understanding only. We'll start to see that more and more in finance because we're moving, again, from this idea of finance being a back office to, to finance being the strategic business driver um, throughout the organization. Yeah, I think organizations that
0: do finance and accounting well actually end up with a strategic advantage to those that don't. Absolutely. So talk to me about automation and the role that that plays in fp and and where you see automation taking us in the future.
1: Well, I'll start where I'm not as bullish about automation. Um, I think sometimes I've heard about, you know, AI and FPA and it'll predict the future. And there's certainly some really amazing algorithms and intelligence that we can build into FP&A. But one saying that a, a customer told me once, which, which is my favorite, is finance likes to see how the sausage is made. So we need to be able to get our, our hands into data and understand if there is a prediction around the future what drivers were part of that prediction, what algorithm was used, what assumptions were made. Um, And so I believe that true automation is more around building the right business logic and having tools automate that process. So it's automation around process for prediction and it's automate automation around the mechanics for um, pulling actuals. So, you know, there's a great blog post that actually our, our head of product wrote that said, uh, one of the big challenges around FP&A is not the FP&A work itself, it's the mechanics around the FP&A process. That's where all, most of the effort is placed. And so at Cube, we aim to automate the mechanics. Of the FP&A process. So everything around analysis, performance management, and planning to allow people to spend more time in the actual analysis itself and telling the story behind the numbers.
0: So where or what do you see as some of the biggest challenges that finance teams are facing today? Um, for one,
1: more is being expected out of finance. So I refer to COVID as the great replanning when in March of 2020, we everyone thought the world was falling apart. And every business out there went to reassess their cash position and had to think about the year in a different way than they had thought before. And suddenly we're all planning off cycle. So it's not November, December, and we're coming up with our budget for the next year. It's March or April. And we have to replan the year. And we're also doing it remotely, by the way. People aren't in their offices. And so I think it was a an inflection point in finance around um, how we think about fp and and how companies need to start paying more attention to finance as a function. I'm
0: just curious, so how, how do you think the last two years have changed fp maybe forever?
1: I think that this acceleration it, from finance to strategic finance has been pushed by the great replanning. Um, and we're starting to see a sea change in even finance titles. So someone who used to be called a finance manager is now called a strategic finance business partner. Uh, And we're all working remotely. And if we're not working remotely, we're working with other organizations that work remotely or other people in our organization that's working remotely. So we've had to evolve a lot more quickly um, as finance teams. And so that is not going to change and go back. I think another sea change is the this idea of who's actually running fpna so went from boomers to gen x and now millennials own fpna at many companies and they want to buy software the way that we've been buying saas products for years and years and so fpna is sort of no longer accepting the status quo of legacy tools that don't work very well or excel only people are actively looking for solutions in market whereas they haven't in the past
0: and you created a Slack community at Cube um, geared towards FPNA and and strategic finance professionals to allow them to connect with one another. Why should finance professionals embrace this idea of community and, and learning from one another?
1: It's time. It's time we have our own community. I think for many years, um, I didn't talk about this a lot or admit it, but finance is a really lonely role. Um, especially in a smaller organization. There, it's very small teams, especially within fp You might have a larger accounting team and a small handful of fp folks. And um, if you're not actively included in a lot of the strategic conversations in the organization, it can be very lonely. And because the teams are so small, there, there's not as many resources out there around what are best practices, how are people doing things. And so... Um, At one point in my career, I had joined a a CFO group and we met on a monthly basis. It was a formal group. I paid money to this organization. We all met together and these were sort of casual, but formal conversations. And it was life-changing because I got to hear how other people were doing. It was like, uh, it was also like an emotional support group because we all had the same story around the dance with our CEOs and CFOs. Um, how, you know, what terms are you getting on a debt deal? So these are all things that we need community for to not only connect, but to share best practices and learn from one another. And we've seen this for so many years with other functions like sales and marketing and even IT. Uh, so it's really the era for finance to start building community and to find one another and help each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you know, as accountants,
0: we're kind of introverts, but um, it's important that we connect with one another and the organization as as a whole. Right. Exactly. So, as you look near term, what's one of the biggest challenges that you and your team are facing? Let's say this next quarter.
1: At Cube. Yeah, I think what's happening in the market is very interesting. Um, and we've certainly got our eye on a number of different things from how interest rates and inflation are going to affect capital markets and how that affects us and how that affects our customers. So certainly, I think the uh, the entire startup landscape has benefited from the last couple of years where there's been more money um, in the ecosystem. And a lot of that has gone to venture capital. And so a lot of venture capital companies have been funded. And a lot of these companies are growing and spending money. Um, so that's that's been great for startups and the VC world at large. The question will really be what happens next. So that sort of maintain a status quo. Will there be a compression or further compression in capital markets? Um, how will inflation impact us? How will that uh, impact the way we think about debt versus equity? I'll tell you at least earlier, like, You know, six months ago, I was telling everyone go out and get debt if you can. When interest rates go up, that conversation may be different. Yeah. Um, So a lot of these things are things that we're keeping our finger on the pulse around. Um, And and how are you
0: attracting and retaining talent in this market? I, I think every CAFO or anyone I've talked to recently has had a hard time finding
1: talent. Yeah. I, it's, it reminds me a lot of fundraising because it's a fit exercise. There's certainly finding and there's finding the right people. And of course it's a challenge, but I think one of the things that companies have to double down on and not apologize for is investing in culture because your culture will allow you to hire and recruit and, meet and keep people here. Um, I think that's one of the things that's not always looked at. There's a I think, an overwhelming focus on bringing people in and not on keeping people. And you really have to look at both. And so I would say, of course, it's a challenge, but we're really focused on building the best possible culture to help keep people uh, happy at Cube and also to have them recruit their friends. Because I think for companies at our sides, the best recruiting channel is uh, through peer networks and uh, personal referrals.
0: Absolutely. Are you guys working remote? How are you creating? How do you, how do you create culture? Um, you know, when when nobody's in the office and everybody's working over Zoom or Teams or whatever the case might be.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll say we're very lucky because we came of age during COVID, so we we weren't we didn't have to transform from an office based culture to a remote culture. We built ourselves as a remote first culture. And a couple of things that we do that whether these were intentional or not have served us very well is short, frequent communication. So what I mean by that is uh, one one of my favorite sayings is come off and stay short. And so one of the things we do is we have an all hands every single week and it's 30 minutes. So we're not making people sit through a 90 minute conversation. It's not every single day. It's 30 minutes of your week uh, and we all get together. And one of the ways we make it a little fun is we have a rotating DJ, company DJ, uh, plays music while we all log on to the Zoom and are waiting around for the call to get started. And uh, we pick the DJ for the next week and it's a fun little game. We have stories around the song. And then we get started on talking about what's happening in the company. So everyone can really feel a part of what's happening, um, the good and the bad, and feel like there's transparency to what's happening at large. So that's one thing we do for the entire company. Our leadership team gets together every single week. We're very structured around it, and we make sure to pay attention to to communication and, and cadence. And that's really important for people to stay connected and to feel a part of an organization, especially if we're not meeting in person. Sounds like a fun place to work. So much fun. Come visit. Christina, thank you so much for
0: being my guest today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, i really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing about your experiences. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your story today. Um, I wish you and Cube all the best. And to anyone wanting to learn more about your product, they can visit your website at cubesoftware.com. And to all of the listeners, please tune in next week. And until then, take care of yourselves.